0: Welcome to Private Equity Perspectives, a podcast by BDO USA's Private Equity Practice. Each episode, BDO connects with leaders in the private equity space to discuss the latest trends driving deal activity, fund strategies, and portfolio company optimization.
1: Hello, and welcome to BDO's Private Equity Perspectives podcast. I'm Todd Kinney, National Relationship Director in BDO's Private Equity Practice, and I'm based in New York City. Today, we're actually doing a special episode with two of my colleagues, Scott Hendon and Bob Snape. Here at BDO, we just released our 2021 Fall Private Capital Pulse Survey, and some of the findings were actually pretty surprising, but we'll get into that in a minute. Now, let's welcome Scott and Bob to the show. First, I'd like to welcome Scott Hendon, Scott's BDO's National and Global Leader of Private Equity. How are you doing today, Scott?
2: Todd, I am doing great. And uh,
1: once again, thank you for having me on the panel. Pleasure. Awesome. Excited to have you here, as you know. Next, I'd like to introduce Bob Snape. Bob's the president of BDO Capital Advisors. Bob, thanks for being here today. Todd, It's great to be here with you as well. All right. Well, let's. I uh, appreciate your time. Guys, let's uh, jump into it. Uh, I know you well. Certainly, from, uh, from all the years we've been working together, and it's been a pleasure for sure. But I want to make sure our audience gets a chance to warm up to you. So, Scott, uh, maybe you can go first, introduce yourself to our listeners, and tell them about your role here at the firm.
2: Happy to, Todd. My name's Scott Hendon, and I, as Todd said, I'm the national and global leader of private equity for BDO. I'm also an international liaison partner, and I sit on the BDO USA board as well as the board of BDO Capital.
1: Thanks, Scott. I know you're a busy man, so it's good to have you here. Turning over to you, Bob, would you tell our audience about yourself and BDO Capital's function within BDO?
0: Happy to, Todd. Again, great being here. I'm the president of BDO Capital Advisors. That's BDO's Middle Market Investment Bank. I've been with BDO
1: for 12 years now and uh, looking forward to today's discussion. Great. Well, I know everyone wants to hear from investment bankers nowadays, Bob. So This will be a valuable conversation. As mentioned before, we're gonna center this episode around some of the interesting findings from BDO's 2021 Fall Private Capital Pulse Survey, which is now available on BDO.com. Please check it out. Let's set the stage here and start off with some basics. Who did we survey? How many people and why is this initiative important? Bob, I'll start with you and then we'll kick it over to Scott.
0: Thanks, Todd. Yeah, we surveyed 200 private equity fund managers uh, split up into three groups. We defined small funds as those that had assets under management of less than a billion dollars, medium-sized funds with assets under management from one billion to three billion, and large funds as having greater than three billion of assets. As you can see, we sampled a variety of funds, which I think really helps uh, the results and the analysis. Scott, I'm gonna let you handle sort of the importance of this study.
2: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Bob. So we've uh, we've seen that fund managers like to always have their uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on with the market and benchmark against what their peers are doing. Uh, we also use this research in our own uh, client conversations and larger presentations. As far as the survey itself, uh, we've been doing the survey for over 10 years and we do a year-over-year year or period-over-period period analysis. Um, with COVID, uh, we... Yeah, we used to do an annual survey uh, and do a more detailed report, but with COVID, we saw the the market uh, really being dynamic and a lot of changes in there. So we pivoted uh, once again to our uh, uh, pulse survey that we do every six months. And this time around, we have three mini reports based on the stages of deal life cycles, that being M&A deal advisory or acquisitions, value creation, and exit planning.
1: All right, guys. Well, I appreciate the background, and that's certainly good context uh, for today's discussion. So let's jump right in. Starting off with deal activity, since we all know the market is so hot right now, 42% of the respondents said that they'll direct most of the capital to new deals, which was more than double from last year's 19%, and less than half said they'd direct it to add-ons. So, Scott, I'll start with you on this one. Do these figures surprise you at all? And does it affect? What you're uh, seeing out in the market right now?
2: You know, Todd, uh, it really doesn't surprise me at all. I think uh, as, you know, we started seeing the uptick from last year in Q3, but I think the numbers that you uh, mentioned are being driven a lot by uh, the dry powder that needs to be deployed, available debt at low cost, and some of the anticipated tax law changes.
1: Yeah, makes sense. I mean, the uh, the drastic jump was was a bit surprising to me, but I do agree, it uh, sort of makes sense. Bob, anything you want to uh, add here? Sure, you know, though add-on acquisitions have been the go-to
0: strategy for managers uh, since early on in the pandemic. Uh, you know, they took the top spot last fall and this past spring in the survey. Uh, they slid to third here, uh, you know, in terms of capital deployment strategies, uh, and it's it's now behind new deals and applying equity relief to portfolio companies. I think it demonstrates confidence. You know, bigger bets, uh, platform investing, uh, vis-a-vis, you know confidence in the economy, uh, taking advantage of continued low interest rates, uh, uh, the ability to put uh, large amounts of debt on on these acquisitions. I think those are all reasons why platform investing has really taken hold. Uh, Confidence and the ability to deploy capital cheaply.
1: Yeah, great intel. Appreciate that, Bob. So, uh, one of the more surprising data points to me was all about risk. Uh, We all know it's there, but this really showed how it seems to be more prevalent today. More than half, about 53 percent of the fund managers said they are that uncovering risk during the due diligence process was the biggest challenge to closing deals and yet they're also speeding up timelines. So Bob, this is probably a good question for you. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about the risk factor and to what extent uh, funds are really prepared to deal with. It. I think they go hand
0: in hand. I mean, uh, as a sell-side banker, we're putting a lot of pressure on funds to get deals done faster and the competition for deals has never been more fierce. So a lot of the diligence has to be wrapped up, you know, pre letter of intent. And uh, you know, so these funds that have scarce resources, everyone these days has has limited human resources, and uh, trying to find third-party advisors to do diligence, there's just a crunch. You know, there's a personnel crunch. It's putting a lot of pressure on on fund advisors, uh, you know, to put uh, money to work quickly in a competitive environment, and and so there's a risk element to that because you're being rushed. You know, you're condensing something that ordinarily would take, you know, maybe six months to complete in, into four months. And, you know, as a result, you're taking on uh, more risk exposure in the, in the process. And, you know, major concerns, cybersecurity, the typical financial due diligence, uh, environmental liabilities, litigation, intellectual property, all of those things have to be uh, investigated on a very quick timetable. And, and again, that adds risk. Thankfully, we have the insurance market, rep warranty insurance, uh, which has just blossomed in the last decade and is now prevalent in most deals, most middle market deals and search, certainly large cap deals. So there is a way to offload some of that risk, but it's still a major concern for uh, fund managers.
1: Yeah, makes a lot of sense, Bob. Scott, a, a follow-up question for you. Uh, what other challenges did fund managers highlight and what strategies are being deployed? to win bids uh, really in spite of that.
2: Yeah, uh, Todd, uh, in in regards to the survey fund managers, I think the the second highest challenge to closing deals, they cited competition from other buyers, uh, which no no, uh, surprise at 48%, followed by 46% uh, citing gaps between buyer and seller on value expectations, obviously no surprise there. And 39% reporting a lack of transparency, including access uh, to the management teams or complete financial information, a lot of that being driven by carryover from COVID. Uh, as far as some of the strategies being deployed, as Bob mentioned, uh, on some of the rest, well, one of the, the strategies, you're trying to get deals closed faster, especially if they're trying to get that in under the wire to lock in capital gains rates. Uh 49% said highlighting their industry or sector specialization being a key to getting deals closed. Uh, 44% said focusing on intangibles, such as being a more strategic partner uh, post-close. And uh, only 34% said paying higher multiples to get deals closed. So I think in summary, uh, you know, the biggest challenge is getting uh, deals closed is, uh, you know, well, the deal economics, if you're paying a higher multiple, um, you have to find quality companies to get a, a reasonable return on exit. So once again, the funds are finding the challenges of having to pay more and, uh, and they, as such, they need to ensure they, they have quality companies that, uh, they'll still get the reasonable rate of return.
1: Uh, good, good, uh, valuable information there, Scott. Appreciate that. So I'm sure our, uh, listeners are enjoying all the good content here and, uh, are learning quite a bit. So again, you guys are doing a great job here. Moving on to the holding period. Bob, this one's for you. 57% of our fund managers are implementing new technology and digital capabilities uh, to really generate value from their investments. But even more so, fund managers revealed the need to deepen their value creation strategies and pull multiple levers at once. So how are you seeing value creation strategies change in light of, the forces at play in today's M and A market. Yeah, it's interesting. As a sell
0: side banker, you know we see the integration planning being moved up. You know, so in many cases, uh, fund managers haven't even won the deal yet. They're still competing in the auction, but they're already thinking through integration in a big way and and having discussion and meetings around integration, value creation, low-hanging fruit, you know, from day one in their day one planning and certainly their first 100-day planning. I think, you know, holistically, they're thinking about what a great exit market this is. Uh, You know, you've got a prolific IPO, uh, primary equity market as an exit strategy, certainly uh, sponsor-to-sponsor deals, you know, or record levels uh, as an exit strategy. And then you've got these cash-rich corporates, that are back into the MA markets in a big way in the second half of 2021, you know, CEO confidence and board level confidence to do deals and satisfy shareholders has never been higher. So uh, that's causing fund managers to try to get the quick hit, to get the home run in a short period of time, high RIRs, and, and then deploying all their tools available to them. Uh, you know, certainly pricing strategies, incentives to boost sales growth. Um, You know, squeezing out additional cash flow, you know, whether that's through uh, mechanisms done like cash from working capital, uh, reducing inventories, improving payment terms, everything to dress up the story for a quicker exit, you know, seems to be uh, the theme in today's markets. And uh, obviously, supply chain pressures throughout, uh, you know, companies uh, pre-deal, pre-close, struggling with supply chain. I think fund managers that that have innovative ways of, of relieving some of that stress and pressure are adding immediate value to, uh, to the companies that they acquire. And uh, that's a, obviously a top of mind issue across the board in
1: today's market. Yeah, great insight, Bob. Uh, I'm gonna stay with you for the uh, next question. This time on exit planning. Certainly during times of economic uncertainty, the exit stage of the deal life cycle is arguably the most challenging. So how have you seen exit planning strategies change over the last 18 months? And how do SPACs play a role in that if they do? And do you expect private equity to leverage de-SPACs?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the quick flip. A lot of fund managers are, are looking for those opportunities and that's reflected in the survey. You know, nearly half of our respondents Said they're placing more scrutiny on past exit during the due diligence consideration of acquiring a potential target. Uh, they're they're looking, you know, can we spin this into the public markets in the short term, given the window that's uh, available currently? Um, are there corporates that maybe weren't involved in the sale process? That we could approach on a relatively short timetable and and try to get another you know quick hit here uh, in terms of return. So they're certainly looking for those opportunities. Obviously, those are scarce, few and far between. Uh, but they are they are looking for those opportunities. Just given the liquidity in the markets today and the high multiples across the board, it is kind of an exit mentality that's pervasive you know throughout all all m participants currently. Um, You know, certainly, as we saw in the survey, uh, you've got managers fine tuning exit strategies, uh, you know, throughout the holding period. I I think they're ever opportunistic. So if there's an unsolicited approach on one of their codes, they're more likely, you know, with high multiples to take the call. Uh, and pursue something, even though you know they may not have necessarily been pursuing an exit or even thinking about one. It's hard not to answer the phone in today's environment uh, with the valuations that we're seeing. Um, when we look at this, you know, relative to uh, size of fund, uh, you know, and, and, and survey respondents, uh, these two strategies, you know, focused on exit and fine-tuning exit strategy. Are a top priority for both the mid-sized funds and and uh, and the small funds uh, as well. Um, though the most common exit path for private equity traditionally has been a sale to a strategic buyer, or another fund. As I mentioned, the IPO market is just so appealing currently, and this is especially for the larger funds that you know can uh, file S one quickly. And attract a good, strong institutional shareholder base. You know, typically those are the large funds with over three billion asset under management. Um you know, a lot of this uh, fund manager sentiment, you know, close to 60%, uh, say they have shifted in the last 18 months uh to kind of the SPAC consideration uh or an IPO exit. So some sort of public vehicle exit. And again, I think that's just the sign of the times, you know, when you have close to 500 SPACs that have been raised. And a record year uh, by leaps and bounds, you know, for the IPO market. Again, it's hard not to wake up and pay attention to all that, you know, relative to your exit strategies. And, you know, I think the SPACs and the IPOs, again, um, especially for the larger funds, and we see that in the respondent, uh, you know, relative to the survey, uh, that that's that's top of mind, uh, and maybe sale to a third party or sale to another private equity is somewhat taking a back seat. Uh, just given the uh, the valuations you you can find in
1: the public markets today, and and the timing, it's all been accelerated. Sure. Well, it sounds like we got more changes on the on the way, but lots of good uh, insight there, Bob. So thanks, Scott. Uh, I'm going to come your way for a uh, a few comparisons. Uh, when we did the Pulse survey back in the spring, fund managers were more concerned about potential uh, taxation of digital products and services than they were about potential capital gains tax increase. Uh, but as it turns out in August when the fall survey was fielded, concerns about a capital gains tax increase were back on top. But now here we are in October and a- as you know, the uh, OECD announced uh, an agreement on a global 15% minimum ma- minimum uh, tax as well as a requirement that multinationals pay taxes in the jurisdictions in which they sell products or services. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the shift from the spring to the fall, and then about what you expect to see given this new global agreement. Absolutely,
2: Todd. So as you mentioned in the spring, fund managers were more concerned about taxation of digital products and services, and um, then uh, and then they were about capital gains tax increases. In regard to the fall survey, at the time of the survey, it was done before the new Ways and Means Bill uh, was released. And uh, at that time, when we're administering the fund, the survey, the Biden administration had said that capital gains taxes would be taxed at an ordinary rate, uh, that being at 43.4%, that being a 39.6% ordinary rate plus a 3.8% net investment income tax, or and that being for families of 400000 and up versus the current capital gains rates, which is 23.8%, that being uh, the 20% capital gains rate plus 3.8% net investment income tax. Um, So if that had gone in, it certainly made it less attractive uh, to LPs and uh, would have effectively uh, killed the benefits of carried interest, which a lot of Fund managers get as compensation allows them to uh, get a large portion of the carry at uh, capital gains rate. So um, that was the concern, and uh, but once again, the Ways and Means Committee bill came out, and uh, the the new uh, top capital gains rate is twenty eight point eight percent, or twenty five percent capital gains uh, maximum rate plus a three point eight percent net investment. Net investment income tax, which uh, is more is higher than the 23.8%, but certainly less punitive than than what was originally coming out from the Biden administration. Uh, and just real quick on the before I jump into the new global minimum tax on the in regards to carried interest, uh, there was also was a concern to a lot of the fund managers and. At the time of the survey, there was a lot of bills out there that would have effectively killed the carried interest tax so, or eliminated it. But the new ways and means bill, uh, it uh, didn't eliminate the tax. It did increase the holding period from three to five years so uh, to receive capital gains treatment. So while it's still a concern for fund managers that exit out in faster than five years, once again, it's better than the complete elimination. In regard to your question on the new 15% global minimum tax, uh, that applies to larger companies with uh, consolidated income over 750 million uh, euros, and it won't be effective for a couple of years. So it, it certainly uh, will be uh, something to consider, and will be, a, uh, you know, it will have impact on cash flow. But I think the digital services tax—they're being enacted now to help preserve the. Uh, the tax base in a, a digital world, and I, I think a lot of the countries see the 15% minimum tax uh, as a floor and not a ceiling. So there was some speculation that they may, you know, phase out some of the digital services tax since they had the minimum tax. I don't see that happening. I think they're seeing that as a, a minimum floor that plus uh, they'll still have the digital services tax to raise. Needed revenues and balance the budget to pay for uh, COVID spending. So, um, while the certainly the minimum tax you know affects larger funds that do larger international transactions, the uh, digital products and services taxes will certainly be continue to be a concern to fund managers. As they get enacted now, and they impact cash flow internationally, and we're also seeing a lot of uh, states that are uh, enacting digital products and service taxes as well. Um, so, I guess in, in closing on that, Todd, I think uh, as we approach the end of 2021, because of uh, you know the certainly lower effective uh, capital gains tra- tax today, I think a lot of funds, assuming there's still time are going to be trying to exit and still take advantage of the 23.8% uh, capital gains
1: tax rate. Well, Scott, I've known you for a long time, and I know your roots go back to the tax side of the firm. So I'm uh, not surprised at all you had all that great insight. So appreciate that. Uh, we're going to stay with you for the, uh, for the next one, Scott, and let's talk about ESG. In the spring, of fund managers said incorporating ESG investment strategies was a priority for their LPs. This time around, we asked respondents about specific challenges they're facing to integrating ESG. So Scott, maybe you can talk about those findings and what we saw there, and also what are the major hurdles and potential solutions?
2: You bet, Todd. Uh, so first of all, as you mentioned in the spring survey, 94% of the funds uh, said that ESG was important to their LB, LPs due to the advantage of having better companies uh, at exit that drive uh, higher sales prices as well as doing the right thing. And also, as you alluded to in the fall survey, we focused on what were some of the bi- biggest uh, challenges to integrating ESG and the uh, the survey results uh, showed us that uh, the ESG investor landscape is still emerging. Mainly, we could see that the, of all the challenges we put out there, it was pretty narrow range. So uh, it looked like the fund managers were saying they were having challenges across the board. So um, while they recognized the need to incorporate ESG criteria into their portfolio companies, they specifically found challenges in having proper uh, Data systems and reporting mechanisms to successfully integrate ESG criteria and report on it to regulatory bodies and LPs. The large and mid-sized funds saw more challenges in integrating ESG across their portfolios. Um, could that could be due to potential visibility of the the public and LPs and fund managers from large funds identified ensuring integrity of the data and systems for reporting on their. Uh, that on reporting being their biggest hurdle, uh, followed by implementing ESG enhancements uh, and identifying, uh, mitigating material ESG risk. So I, I think overall the results from the survey shows that as fund managers are beginning to figure out how to incorporate ESG criteria into their strategies, um, but I think they're expecting there'll be more pain points to emerge around the standardization and reporting as it continues to
1: evolve. I think we all certainly know incorporating ESG and investments has been a major trend and certainly talking through the solutions is sure to be helpful to our listeners. So thanks there, Scott. Well, we made it to our last question of the day. And with uh, all of our guests, I always like to throw out a crystal ball question and hear your predictions for uh, the uh, the coming year 2022. So You guys can speak to it at a high level or better yet, pick any data point from the survey and forecast whether it'll increase or decrease in the next six months. So no pressure on you. Bob, I'll go to you first and then we'll wrap with Scott. Thanks, Ted. You know,
0: earlier in 2021, uh, you know, as Scott alluded to the potential for tax policy change also known as significant increases in capital gains rates, you know, that undoubtedly motivated many sellers to pursue a transaction before the higher rates were enacted. And so the number of these tax-driven motivated sellers, I think, has subsided, you know, in the third and, and into this quarter as U.S. congressional leaders announced spending packages with far more modest adjustments to capital gains rates. So you know, I think there's still a view that rates could change, but, but nowhere near to the levels that uh, were in some of the earlier proposals. So I think this, you know, combined with rising inflation, uh, supply demand imbalances for goods and services, and importantly, a shift in Fed policy to tapering and potential rate increases, you know, could present some some dampening impact or effect on the MA markets and, and create some challenge, you know, for the markets in 2022. Uh, but having said that, you know, for the balance of this year, and, and I think certainly for the first six months of 2022, activity should remain strong, just based solely surely on the backlog of deals in the market as well as the underlying fundamentals of you know resilient debt and equity markets. Just abundant cash and a very strong economy uh, in, in relative terms. So given current activity levels, uh, you know, I think most market participants, and I'm one of them, uh, know that 2021 will go down in history as the best year for deal making in the history of deal making. Uh, if I had to uh, you know, look at my crystal ball, I, I don't think we'll surpass 2021, but I still think it'll be an excellent year. Uh, for deal-making in 2022.
1: All right, well, I think we all know challenges will uh, likely change, but I agree, it's slated to be a good year. Scott, what's on your radar?
2: Well, I'm gonna have to agree with my colleague as far as on deal flow. I think for all of 2022, and certainly for the first half, that uh, deal flow will continue, whether it's at the same rate as uh, 2021, uh, may not be quite as high, but I think we'll still have a lot of uh, deal flow out there. Uh, and I think it'll be driven a lot by, there's a lot of fundraising going on. The returns are still high for private equity. So there's a lot of dry powdered and that coupled with SPACs, uh, still trying to deploy the capital and the SPAC raises within a 24 month period. I think it's going to continue to drive demand, drive up the multiples and still making it very lucrative to exit out. Uh, Obviously, that's still putting pressure on the funds to get deals closed and find quality companies at uh, high multiples. Uh, that being, they need to be quality companies so they get a reasonable return. I also think we will uh, we will see, you know, uh, pressures on uh, certainly the supply chain that'll have some impact on, uh, you know, some of the deals and the quality of some of the companies. I think we'll continue to have regulatory scrutiny on funds and their portfolio companies and possibly the cost of debt going up uh, a little, uh, maybe the rates going up, it, and making it a little bit harder for funding. And lastly, I just think, uh, once again, that the overall market, I'm pretty bullish. I think it will, will continue to have uh, you know, a lot of deal flow going on in 2022.
1: All right. Great points as well, Scott. We certainly will see what uh, 2022 holds. Well, that's it for this episode of BDO's Private Equity Perspectives podcast. Be sure to check out BDO's Fall 2021 Private Capital Pulse Survey on BDO.com's Private Equity page. Scott and Bob, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to join me today.
2: Yeah, thank you, Todd. It's uh, been a pleasure.
1: Thanks, Pat. I always appreciate it and uh, been a pleasure. Awesome. Of course, I'm sure our paths will cross again and hopefully it's in person, guys. To our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of the show on iTunes. Until next time, this is BDO's Private Equity Perspectives. The views presented by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of their respective firms.
2: Investment banking products and services within the United States are offered exclusively through BDO Capital Advisors, LLC, a separate legal entity. affiliated company of BDO USA, LLP, a Delaware limited liability partnership and national professional services firm. For more information, visit BDOcap.com. Certain services may not be available to attest clients under the rules and regulations of public accounting. BDO Capital Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC.